Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine where we keep you up on the literature by spoon-feeding it to you. Okay, let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we'll be covering from the first article. Just stop putting Benadryl in your cocktails for migraines, I guess. Second, not sure what exactly we're doing with febrile infants over 60 days old. After that, imaging isn't enough to rule out stroke as the cause of dizziness. From the fourth article, choosing whether or not to image isn't objective. When in your shift you are and how it's going can affect your decisions. And then from the last article, we regularly ask about hemoptysis for PE. Maybe we shouldn't care, though. Now, if you're hearing this right now, you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you're just not getting the full Journal Feed podcast. You're only receiving a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, I'm going to pick really good ones for you. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember, we never want money to be a problem for you. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, then just get in touch. We can help you out. Now, this is the audio version of the past week's summaries, which this week were brought to you by Megan Hilbert, Kitan Patel, Bo Stubblefield, and Clay Smith. Okay, so we're going to skip the two first articles because you're not part of the members feed and jump on to the third article. Titled A Diagnostic Accuracy of Neuroimaging in Emergency Department Patients with Acute Vertigo or Dizziness, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis for the Guidelines for Responsible and Appropriate Care in the Emergency Department out of the journal Academic Emergency Medicine. Oh yes, everyone's favorite chart to pull off the pile. Actually, how many of you still actually have physical piles and not just computers? So we'll say you pulled it off the stack. That kind of has computer connotations to it. Anyways, we're talking about dizzy patients today. Dizzy patients. 40% of these patients get some kind of neuroimaging, which is a lot when you consider that neuroimaging alone has not been shown to be very reliable at ruling out central causes of vertigo. This systematic review and meta-analysis looked at neuroimaging for the complaint of dizziness to rule out strokes. It looked at patients who presented to the emergency department with less than two weeks of dizziness to determine the sensitivity and specificity of neuroimaging in distinguishing stroke from peripheral causes. MRI was used as the reference standard for diagnosis in addition to clinical diagnosis and final diagnosis at discharge. Now, I don't even want to report these numbers. They're kind of depressing. 92% of patients got a non-contrast CT scan, which was only 28% sensitive for stroke. Which was better than CTA, though, which was only 14% sensitive for stroke. We're missing a lot of early strokes here. Now, even an MRI, which was much better when obtained within 48 hours of symptom onset, was still only 80% sensitive. You know what that means? Ugh, we actually have to talk to our patients, elicit a good history, and do a good focused exam. So here's a suggestion. Here's something we could do. If we image and it's positive, great, that's very specific, you should admit if you think you have a good hints exam and it's positive, again, great, easy decision, admit. Now, if you think both of those are negative, then you're still worried, then again, just admit. So, in short, our suggestion is not very helpful. <laughs> in a spoonful, I wish this just weren't so, but neuroimaging for vertigo is poor at ruling out central causes. Okay, and jump over to the last article. Titled, Evaluation of the Hemoptysis Item in Clinical Decision Rules for the Diagnosis of Pulmonary Embolism in the Emergency Department out of the Journal of Academic Emergency Medicine. Let's be honest, the U.S. struggles with imaging too much for pulmonary embolisms. The diagnostic yield for PEs in the U.S. is something like 1-3%. to It's not great. 
You might think that that's not bad since BE is becoming something like a never missed diagnosis, but some other places in the world have diagnostic yields closer to 20%. So there's definitely room for improvement here. Now we lean heavily on clinical decision tools for the diagnosis of PEs. So the better we can make these tools, the better we ought to do as well. An easy thing to do would be to get rid of criteria that just aren't very helpful. Now be honest with me, when was the last time that hemoptysis was really what you were hinging your PE diagnostic probability on? Yeah, probably not very often. So what if we just dropped that part of several rules? What would happen? This was a post hoc analysis of two prospective cohort studies evaluating clinical decision tools on low risk patients suspected of PEs. That makes about 3,000 patients followed for three months. If they removed hemoptysis from the years, the PERC, and the PEGGED tools, then none of them had a significant decrease in performance. Even the Wells and Geneva criteria remained similar without hemoptysis. The removal did not significantly alter CT imaging usage. Now, of course, this isn't enough to just remove hemoptysis right now from all the decision tools. It did get there for a reason after all, but perhaps it's not as useful as it once was. We are diagnosing smaller and smaller PEs these days, and so maybe it's just a different population. In a spoonful, even though it's catchy and it seems cool, hemoptysis doesn't seem to be all that important for your clinical decision aids for PE. All right, cool, that's everything. Great, guys. Let's wrap up everything. Let's do our take-homes. From the third article, I guess you've just got to trust your gut on vertigo patients. Imaging does a poor job at ruling out acute strokes. And then from the last article, maybe don't hang your hat on hemoptysis, just saying. Perk, ears, and pegged were not much moved by its removal. All right, great. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Now, if you feel like you're missing out, you feel like, hey, wait a second. Nick skipped three articles, and he only did two of the five that he mentioned. Then come over and join us at the members feed, and you can hear all of it. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding, and so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.